Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 21 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Money, usually in Philadelphia, USA, but for one week only, I am in the UK, and I'm joined by Chris Lawson in London. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. This is slightly odd, having you standing next to me for a change. Well, it's going to be interesting today, Chris, because we've got one microphone and two people. So um, it's going to be a fun show, and we're going to continue with the storytelling theme that we talked about last week. And that was a show that we really got into the, the background to what storytelling is. We landed on three key takeaways at the end of it. It was about the importance of listening out for stories and then actually asking for them and hearing them from other people. Crafting your 30-second, three-minute, and 300-word version of your brand story, and then actually being able to listen with empathy, truly hearing what the other person has to say, and not just listening to respond, but actually listening to hear them, and then responding in the right way. And I think it's a good opportunity to actually now, in this show, to start to break down what actually makes a great story. And without doubt, I truly believe a great story comes from conflict. Every engaging story is built on conflict. So it could be a story with a protagonist and some object or desired outcome that they're trying to get to or purpose, which is going to restore some sort of balance or some sort of equilibrium. They could be doing it for themselves or the community or for the world. There are quests, there are obstacles, there are challenges that throw this protagonist, this character off course, and perhaps they falter, but often they make it to the end. Have you got a good example of that, Sam? Well, I'll come to an example in a minute, but every engaging story, as I said, is based on conflict. So you're not thinking of conflict as good versus bad. It's think of it as creating the meaning, creating that emotional bond. There's a branding and design agency called Character, and they, they've got some frameworks. And I think a lot of other organizations have similar frameworks, but there is these co- conflicts which are quite common. So you have, for example, on one end, romantic versus reserved. You have passion and the counter to that is control. You have designed um, versus playful or dignified versus playful. Mm. You have safe versus special, individual versus connected. And I've got an example that comes to mind, Chris, and I'll shut up in a minute, but this is my monologue. So stay stay tuned, audience. Stay tuned, Chris. It's the, the work that Twix have recently done. And it's actually um, better to keep conflict alive than to try and resolve it. So what Twix have done a really nice job is actually to create some conflict. They've created this almost fake story of the difference and the, 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 the conflict between the left and the right Twix. And left Twix users are this type of person. And most people choose the, the right Twix. And in asterisk, it says, but 50% of right Twix choosers. So they, they're playing off the fact that there is a difference between the left and the right Twix. Do they come as a pair or is there a conflict? 
But actually, they found a new way to appeal to consumers who perhaps weren't even thinking about Twix in the first place. And their, their conflict is really about this. Is this an individual thing or is it a connected thing? They've made each Twix a protagonist. You have to pick a side, but it's clearly tongue in cheek. We're in on a joke. And OK, it's not a highly purposeful idea or, not, or a highly purposeful example. But I really like the fact that they've just made you think about the brand in a new and a different way. And I think it's, it's quite a good idea in my book. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, two that spring to mind, very similar to that. There's the the Nike um, in London. They have like um, North London versus South London, and they they create that sort of fake competition, and that works incredibly well. And Marmite, do you have Marmite over in the states, Sam? Marmite, I think there's um, is a very British thing. So tell tell the audience, the Americans, if they've probably seen or heard about it. And I think if you're Australian, you're probably screaming Vegemite at the speakers right now. But explain it to the audience. Well. Quite, quite simply, they sum it up in terms of you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Um, I'm, I'm a, a lover myself. But, but again, facing down that conflict and, and creating that, that bit of rub, I think, is a, an important part of it. But everything starts with an elevator pitch, Sam. I think whether you're a junior marketeer and you're trying to pitch something to your boss or whether you're there as an agency and you're going, I've got this really creative idea about left Twix versus right Twix, which sounds a bit odd starting off. You know, It starts off with the fact that you're going to try and get that across in as simple terms as you can, in as short a term as you can. Uh, you know, the, 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 the original sort of, Elevator pitch came from like 30 seconds. And how do you sum up what you're doing in 30 seconds? Um, it was used for years in the film industry. I think one of my favorites is the one used for Aliens, which was simply described as its jaws in space. Uh, a, a really, really sort of simple idea, easily conveyed. And and actually, when we were at The Guardian, we, we took that and we used that as a concept for a promotion um, where we we brought it up to date, something that you see around the place now called Twit Pitch, which is really the how do you describe something in 140 characters? A lot of entrepreneurs and startups use this, and we asked people to come up with their best film titles in 140 characters, and and the winner we turned into a film poster. It was it was a great campaign at the time, and some really really interesting sort of examples but that idea of being able to sum up your idea in 140 characters or in 30 seconds so that people can get it i think is is really powerful uh, analogies work very well as well you know often see that people say it's the uber for hair or hair and beauty or it's um the airbnb for looking after pets um and the great thing is, is that you get that instantly because you've done the hard work. You understand what Uber is. You understand what Airbnb is. Um, so I think that works incredibly well as well. Um, others where you might look at it, I'm working with a ticketing startup at the moment. And, and they talk about setting themselves up as a, as a challenger brand and how do they establish themselves. And it's simply about I'm the number one independent online ticketing platform. And that's how they want to set themselves up. So, so each story starts with that elevator pitch, and I think it's a it's a, a powerful device that we use, not just when you're trying to come up with a new business concept, but if you're trying to sell something in, um, you know, it works equally as well. One of the ones that I think that I worked on, which I was sort of proud of um, early on in my career, was around Absolute Radio. So it was it was trying to convey to 
the organization that we had everything we needed to create a new brand. And we talked about turning the brand and the building inside out and showing everyone our home. There was 100 people in Absolute Radio in Golden Square. And the idea was, was that you walked into that office and you absolutely got what the brand was about. You got the culture, you got the values, you got the energy, you got the playfulness. So we just simply talked about turning ourselves inside out. And it was a lovely way of conveying what we were about. Um, but interestingly, if we if we take that one step back, you know, a good elevator pitch comes from probably about four or five different stages. First one has to be about attention, trying to get a relevant message, an example, something there. Um, you've got to grab that audience attention. Uh, it can be a question. It can be a controversial statement, but it's got to pique the imagination in the first place. It's got to be relevant. You've got to be ensure that you're saying something relevant to your audience um, and not you. So you've got to get to know your audience in the first place. Um, the third bit, of course, is the message. You must know your message inside out. Be really, really clear as to what you are about and what you're trying to convey. Giving an example of that in terms of how and what you're proposing will work Given an example that the audience can imagine happening to them is also very valuable. And finally, I think it's about do. What do you want to happen? Think about what it is you want them to do after the speech. Um, do they need to do something or are they trying to provoke emotions in them? You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful construct. Uh, it's been used in a number of different places. It's, it's not a new thing. But if you can keep it as short as possible, ideally under 30 seconds, use common language um, and peak that in, uh, interest of the, the listener, then it, it's a powerful place to start. Starting with a question, where the question is likely to be a yes, is also a, a, a good technique in that. But, but certainly it's something to practice. And once you get it right, it can be very, very powerful, whether it's a new project you're trying to convince something from or, or a new business idea. I love those that break down the way you broke that that into pieces and the idea that it's what you do and what you you stand for and how you bring that to life. And I've got a few examples that we can share with the listeners. The key thing here, though, is that for for some, for, for many of these purpose-driven brands, it's kind of a lot easier for them. They've got a bit of an advantage in doing that. If you think of a brand called Evol, which is a frozen food products brand, they're really in the business of overcoming and overturning this corrupt food system and that's the angle they take think of kind and they're really they're, they're focusing on the conflict in the difference between the easy thing to do and the proper thing to do and so they start off with statements like we believe if you can't pronounce an ingredient it shouldn't go into your food or into your body Actually, it shouldn't even go into your pantry. And they want to create a thriving community of people. And that's the business they're in. They're not talking about the product first. They're talking about what does or doesn't go into your body. Then you've got brands like Chobani, and their purpose is to make universal wellness happen sooner. So they're totally and deeply committed to playing an active role in transforming our food system for the betterment of the planet. And they're really into doing that, not just checking the box. You've got Sam Adams, which is a beer brand, which is predominantly in the USA. I'm not sure if they're over in the UK, but they have a continuum of pleasure versus restraint. And they're really fighting these bland tasting beers. And their story is a conflict. You know, they, they fund and champion competitors in the craft beer market because 
They are fighting against bland, average, basic beer. They support other craftspeople in investing in their business, whether you're small businesses. And it's not just about brewing a better beer. It's about waking up and every day and doing something you love. And that's why they invest in other people. They, in fact, claim to have issued over 2,000 loans to people in all sorts of industries, not just beer. No way. That's amazing. And actually, I really like that concept of supporting the whole market as well and creating a bit of a um, us against them against bland beers. Yeah. So for them, the comp- competition is, is bland beer, not um, those people in the craft beer market. And it, it changes the mindset and it changes the the frame of competition. And there's uh, another way to think about coming up with a story. If you're listening to this show, okay, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it myself? Well, there's a, a woman called Leah Kamaiko. She's a brand consultant, but she's also a kid's book author. And she recommends you trying to access stories, trying to unlock them. It's reread the first children's book you remember. She encourages her clients to ask and answer customized questions like, what color do you remember now from reading that book? So tap into your childhood and that can often unlock great ways to tell stories. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode, the the importance of like rhythm, the importance of um, sort of trying to sort of create that feeling, that emotion, that emotional bond. And there's, there's no stronger bond, I don't think, than those uh, childhood stories. But but also, you can create that as a brand as well. Uh, Patagonia, is uh, the clothing brand, is another one which I think does that incredibly well. Uh, the founder um, started out as a, as a climber, passionate climber, looking for people like him. Um, it's now a clothing brand that has a name to cause at least harm as uh, possible to our habitat, but also aims to do more good as well. They produce durable items to try and reduce that negative impact. Um, and they donate a portion of their sales to hundreds of grassroots organizations. But if you read any of their stories, either on the website um, or talk to people about buy the Patagonia brand, it really comes out. It resonates incredibly well that actually they they believe that they can contribute to saving the planet. And and also you're left there with feeling that is fresh and it's contemporary. And there was a product manager of um, mine a long time ago at sort of Inspire Gaming, sort of back in about 2016. Um, great guy, really, really smart, really, really clever. But but quite frankly, you can see that he his mind was elsewhere and, and he left to, to travel the world and to climb. And um, set himself up as an Instagram um, follower, looking at different uh, climbing products. And he set himself up as his profile was rock climber on an endless climbing trip. Uh, He has over 10,000 followers now. And uh, he takes that as a core part of his life, just going around. He's got a YouTube channel. So I think it's a a great way that you can bring stories to, to, to life and see how that takes you as well. Chris, you, you just brought stories to life so well with such passion. And that rock climbing example was was just a, a really good one of how you can actually tell that story in a short clip and bring that to life to the external world. But I'm also just as passionate about bringing stories to the world of work wherever and whenever possible. And what better place to try and do that in is in the world of learning and development where there's a constant fight for employee engagement, specifically when it comes to training programs, and we know how lame they can sometimes be. There's a great platform called Enwoven. You can find a company called 
inwoven.com. So go check out their website there. And they give some great stories that bring to life how companies are actually communicating internally within their organizations. And the key message here is about bringing story to life. And they have some principles that you can follow, and I'll share a few of them now. So first of all, think of a documenting the story through a storyline lens. So that doesn't mean you start with PowerPoint and 10-point font size. It's about utilizing photos and sketches, notes and documents, video and audio, and insights to bring that story to life. It's making the perspective clear. Is it the first person or the third person, or is it a teammate's perspective or someone else? Map out the story within a storyboard. So don't just start bashing words onto a page. You actually got to start with thinking about it in terms of a storyboard. The real life example I've got, Chris, is that I was wanting to embed a, a stronger way of telling stories within the capability program when I was at Campbell's. We had PDFs and tools and PowerPoints and various other things. But what more, what better engaging way to do that? than actually creating an internal podcast. And we called it on Impact. And this was a perfect forum for the marketing innovators and provocateurs and disruptors to actually tell their story as a story, not limited again to case study or templates or that three-minute presentation you've got to do at a town hall on a stage when everyone's falling asleep. So Megan Shea and Chip Heim are the two founders of a fabulous startup called The Soulful Project. And it's a company that creates hot breakfast cereals and and various other breakfast foods and it's a buy one give one model so whatever you buy there's a, a, a similar product donated to a local food pantry in your area and again imagine trying to communicate that on a powerpoint slide or the richness of a 20 minute podcast interview and i share that example because it's probably a bit more difficult to do but if you're a marketer a brand manager a leader cmo right now how about creating an internal forum where you can tell stories and you can bring them to life yeah i love that idea about storyboarding as well i think i think that's something that we forget to do actually just mapping out the story in terms of like the beginning the middle and end is such a simple thing even if it's for a presentation uh, i think it's also quite clear sam that um you were podcasting before across the pond so uh you know i'm glad you you cut your teeth somewhere else but at the same time you do just have to experiment with this uh, stuff you have to try different mediums you, we we talked about whether this should be video on youtube or whether this was a blog or a book first but we felt that a podcast would convey what we wanted to do so so you have to find the right medium to to um look at your uh, your story from but I'm, I'm also interested about sort of challenger brands and, and how people take that forward, Sam, and, and different ways of approaching it. Have you got any examples there? Yeah, Chris, there's a great way to think about this in terms of challenger brands are a bit of a buzzword. They're kind of the new sexy kids on the block. And they're the, the upstarts who are using technology to disrupt the marketplace. And you probably think of the usual suspects. So I'm going to come up with a brand that's actually near to where I am in the US, in Philadelphia, a company called GoPuff. And this started off as a an idea from two, two friends who were at college. And it was basically taking up too much darn time for them to stock up <laughs> with their snacks. And they thought, well, why don't we start a business delivering snacks to other people? And they charge it like a $2 flat fee. And that's just recently received three quarters of a billion dollars. In You're funding. joking. That's amazing. 
So yes, that crazy idea to deliver snacks to students is now worth almost a billion dollars in terms of the support to grow that. So, so delivering con- convenience foods, that may sound like an obvious idea, but that's just a way to think about a s- current situation which you can disrupt. Obviously, you have the incumbents who are trying to use and push consumers in a new direction. So using their consumers that have now and trying to push them in a, diff- in a different direction. And then you've probably got a bunch of brands who you could class as the establishment. You know, they're the legacy brands that try and infuse the new and move in a, in a different direction. And I think the Axe brand, which in the UK is known as the Lynx brand, L-Y-N-X, I think they've done a remarkable job of transforming their brand story. Go back to the 90s. The Axe brand became synonymous with male grooming by tapping into teenage boys' desire for sex. This Axe effect where you would basically spray more and get more because women would be flinging off their clothes and falling at your feet because you now became this irresistible guy. Yeah, that Axe brand positioning had lost relevance. The definition of masculinity was changing. And the growing sense of female and women empowerment was huge. And so imagine if today the Axe brand was still positioned in that way. So they set their minds to find a new positioning. They did a lot of research and they actually reinvented the brand through the Find Your Magic campaign, which is encouraging men to embrace and flaunt their individuality because that's what makes them attractive. So pivoting to spray from spray more to get more to finding your individuality. So if you could have a big nose or you could have hair or you could be tall or you could be shorter, you could have big ears, you could be big, you could be whatever shape you were, that was actually what made you attractive. And their purpose included partnering with multiple organizations to reduce male suicides by by men feeling they don't live up to the social expectations. So that for me is a remarkable way that the brand has completely transformed its story. That may sound lofty and far away, but I think you can do it and get started. And if you're struggling, there are ways to, to find out. And we'll give you a few more tips on how to find that story for your brand. I think it's an incredibly important point that you are looking for a slight different angle. You are looking at what type of approach can you take that hasn't been taken before. But as we said in the, the first part of this podcast was thinking around different arts and different role models that you can use. So, Sam, I'm going to ask you, first of all, who who, who is it that comes to mind here that you feel that really sort of plays a part in your life and uh, um, how you purvey this? Yeah, for me, Chris, I talked in the last episode about musicians and artists and creative, but it has to be a poet. And my favorite mantra to live by is the eloquent and profound words of Maya Angelou, who said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that spirit and that mindset in the corporate world is so meaningful now more than ever. And that's what I aspire to do and, and live up to and live into. Oh, well, to, to be honest, that just that just makes me shiver, to be honest. I think that's a, a very, very powerful phrase. And uh, I really like it. For me, it's always been, and I know this is a cliche in many um, respects, but Martin Luther's King, um, I Have a Dream um, speech, I think the interesting thing, and again, it relates back to what we were talking about in the first episode, is that this has absolutely taken on a life of its own. It wasn't 100% Martin Luther King that actually wrote that. There was a couple of sort of script writers, good colleagues and friends of his that also contributed. 
but it has been used in so many different ways and almost become folklore in itself. And and I think that is a that's a powerful place to get to. Now, of course, we're not talking here in this podcast about making life-changing speeches, but the principles do apply. It is about how do you create something that can convey that emotion, something that actually really um, makes the listener feel something. And and I'm, I think that's interesting. Just to sort of conclude, uh, a good story usually some, uh, starts with something where it entices you or intrigues you to keep going. And that's the first part of it. You know, the opening makes you want to know about whatever it is and and it needs to be short and snappy as we've talked about to catch that attention but has to be easy to read as well that common language i think is going to be really important there there was a psychologist um, who wrote in a a book story genius uh, her name's lisa cron i believe Um, and she talked about the fact that um, there's core principles of human perception, thinking and memory in stories that create a positive emotional response and desired decision, decision making from the audience. Now, that, that almost sounds like a, a Wikipedia entry to me in terms of what you're trying to convey. You know, powerful stuff there, I think, Sam. So look, time is getting on. Um, it's um, been great having you stood next to me for a change rather than trying to see you on Skype across the pond. Um Hopefully, we're going to be able to do this a bit more often. It's been uh, good having you back in Blighty, and I hope to make it to Philly at some point. But uh, for now, I think we should probably just sum up what we think the three key points are of the session, Sam. Yeah, Chris, it's been a wonderful experience being stood next to you in the same room and broadcasting live together and doing the show together. It just kind of felt different, but also it helped really bring to life, I think, the, the the idea of storytelling and how important it is to us, but also how important it is to being successful in the world. So when it comes to my three things to sum up what we heard from this week's show, I'd say, first of all, craft an elevator pitch and leverage the techniques to do that really well. The principles were to grab attention, to make it relevant, to think about the message, have an example and bring it to life through being able to do it. The second one I'd share is inspired by the story of Axe is the opportunity and the ability to reinvent your story irrespective of where you are. They didn't exactly have a great purposeful positioning, but they were able to find your magic. They were able to look inside what really was attractive about guys and think about it in a new relevant modern way. And then the third thing I'd say is elicit emotion that could stand the test of time. Maybe the story you tell, maybe the idea you come up with could actually be something as magnanimous, as audacious as the I have a dream speech, which lives on till this day. And we remember it not because of who said it, not because of what he said, and not because of where he said it. It's because all of those things combined make the I have a dream speech so memorable and so long lasting for today. Powerful stuff, Sam. Powerful stuff. And also, I think I'd like to to say that there's something about seeing someone and being face to face and looking them in the eye. That sometimes you forget about stories as well. That that's how you can pass them on. That that 
face-to-face contact is important, even in our virtual world. So look, next week, we've got another exciting show. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be talking about community, the power of fans in a community. There's a, there's a lot of great stuff about this as well, around moving from a, a B2C, a business to consumer, to a business to individual approach. Um, lots to cover there, Sam. So it's going to be a good session back across the pond. Yeah, Chris, this was another wonderful show, a bit different because we were you know, next to each other and I really enjoyed doing the show in this way. Hopefully it came across to the audience as well. So until next time, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.